0: Uh, friends sometimes sunday night is a good time for people to catch up on a zoom so we want to make sure that this is available as well for them and um, again ian i'm going to ask you to pray at the beginning and then uh we'll we'll have some questions uh for for bishop keith
1: let's uh let's pray together Father, we thank you um, so much for, for one another and for the chance to meet together tonight. Uh, Lord, we um, are just grateful for uh, belonging to you and belonging to mm-hmm. your church. And Father, we're thankful too for those who you've placed in um, uh, positions of responsibility. And we uh, we thank mm-hmm. you for for Bishop Keith. Mm-hmm. And Father, we uh, thank you for him um. Uh, you in time for us this evening and Lord I pray that as uh, as Christy engages with questions and and uh, Bishop Keith answers and explores, Father we pray that we'd get not only an insight into into him but into your heart and into your character. Father we believe that you um, speak to us through one another and we pray that tonight that you would be active and at work by your spirit in our lives and uh, and Um, May tonight be an encouragement and a blessing and uh, and just what we need. So Father we give ourselves and we give our time into your hands in Jesus name. Amen.
2: Amen.
0: Amen. Amen. Well um, Bishop Lee thank you very much for your kind um, acceptance of of being with us um, here tonight and I had a privilege of getting um, to meet you in that day that we spent in Manchester. And uh, again, if you wouldn't have been for that, there's, there's loads of my colleagues that never had a chance to, to properly meet with you. And uh, the first question that I have for you tonight is, is for all of us really, just to tell us a little bit about yourself. Um, so um, who are you? What are you passionate about? What are the things that uh, uh, really make you who you are?
3: Great. Well, first of all, let me just say again, it's it's great to be with you and been looking forward to this time, even though we just scheduled it officially this past week. Uh, we've actually been talking about it for a little over a month and excited to be with you. Um, mm-hmm. Yeah, just a little bit of history. And if you have any specific questions, I can always press in somewhere, but I, I grew up in a very small town. Um, our our town had about fifteen hundred. Uh, the entire county, um, which had four towns in it, only had six thousand people. So it's very rural, very agricultural. Um, almost all of the business was related to agriculture in some way. So I grew up in kind of a farm culture. Um, uh, honestly, I loved growing up in a small town. I loved the small town community and the feel. Uh, our church was a, an alive church, even though it was small, um, which that in itself, uh, I, I'm the product of a very small church. And even though we pastored a large church, I love small churches. Uh, I love the community that uh, a small church can have. Um but, you know, just grew up in an environment where high character was expected. I mean, your word was, uh, was your bond, so to speak. That's a phrase we have here. It just means your word is, is everything. Yeah, if you give your word on something, you're expected to keep it. And so I just grew up with salt of the earth kind of people um, and did not plan to be a pastor. Um, at all, um, I, I was a Christian early. I came to Christ when I was ten years old. Very seriously followed Jesus in my teen years. Um, loved music. This is a something that not many people know about me, but I, I was a musician, mostly a singer. Played instruments a little bit, but mostly a singer. Uh, was in a band in college, and even cut a couple of albums with that with that band. Um, so I loved music. And I thought if the Lord had some way for me to serve him, it would be through music. Uh, the other reason I thought that is because I was scared to death to speak in front of people. It, it's really is it an odd thing. I could get up and sing a solo and and be fine, but mm-hmm. get up and and even give a testimony.
4: Mm-hmm.
3: I would get sick to my stomach. And so I thought well, I would never be a pastor. Um my plan was to serve God as a businessman. I thought, you know, to be in business and to be a Christian, to be a witness for Christ in the marketplace, I thought was the absolute best thing I could do in my life. Um, the Lord's call to ministry came out of nowhere. I mean, literally, it just it came out of nowhere. I wrestled with it like Moses for a year. Uh, It took me a full year to really come to grips with the fact that it was a legitimate call to ministry. The Lord had to confirm it in some almost miraculous ways through people that spoke things into me that couldn't possibly have known what I was wrestling Mm -hmm. with. Um, Mm -hmm. And so I eventually followed the Lord and um, went to seminary at Asbury Seminary met my wife there. Uh, Interesting fact. Uh, So Pam was also a student in the uh, Masters of Divinity program at Asbury. We met once and had one conversation in two and a half years. Um, We both left and went separate directions. And two years later, remet, started a long distance relationship, eventually got married, um, a little late, I was 30, she was 29. Um, so we had kids, our first son came about a year and a half, maybe two after our, almost two years after our wedding. Um, and then I went back to school three weeks after our first son was born. We moved, left the church we were pastoring, moved back to school to do a one year intensive doctoral program. Um, and that was an incredible year. And it was during that year that we began to sense the Lord calling us to plant a church. And the following the call to plant eventually meant that we had to leave the denomination of our birth, which was not Free Methodist. Um, we were raised United Methodist. So we left the UM Church, um, planted with the Free Methodist. And then we pastored that church for 21 years, um, and it was a great joy. We didn't want to leave, really, when uh, the transition came, but I felt the time was right. We felt like the Lord was leading us to transition. Honestly, didn't know what we were going to do, uh, for sure. Uh, I knew that they were interested in me being a superintendent, and I felt that's probably what I would end up doing. But you have to be elected, and so we didn't know for sure Um And then as soon as I got in the superintendent role, I found out I was nominated to be bishop. And so I only served in the role of superintendent for six months, seven months before I was elected bishop. So I didn't get a lot of experience on that front. Um, Backing up just a bit, we have a second son who's named Aaron. Uh, Andrew is our first son. Aaron's our second son. Andrew is in a master's program in Christian leadership. Aaron got married young and, um, you know, which he was 20. His wife was 21. I think uh, it was a little scary for us at first, but they have done incredibly well. Um, One thing that was a little bit uh, of a what has turned out to be a wonderful change of plans when they got married, they told us we don't want to have kids for five years. About nine months into their marriage, they announced their pregnancy with their first child, but that has been pure delight to us. We have now a first grandson who is is named Asaph, which is a a, a somewhat obscure biblical name, Uh, but he has been absolute joy, and especially during COVID, because we've managed Mm -hmm. to keep kind of a little bubble with our immediate family. So we have had an opportunity, and the US has been much less stringent on our restrictions than you guys have. Um, So we've been able to see our our sons and our grandson quite a bit during this year. And that has been a tremendous joy. Um, I I love history. I, I love reading biographies and historical novels, love traveling to places with lots of history. So loved coming to your country back in 2005. We spent two weeks in England. Um, Pam did a one semester exchange student uh, in Oxford. So she was in Oxford for uh, a semester. And so we visited London and Oxford. We got up to the Lake District. We also well, I'm not going in the right order. We went down into the Cotswolds a little bit and then up to the Lake District. We were able to visit um, uh, the church in Sully Hall. Uh, it was on our way from Oxford up. And so we did stop in and spend a few days at Sully Hall. Um, but it was mostly, um, it was on a sabbatical. It was mostly just vacation time. So uh, we loved the, the beauty and the history of England Love to travel and, and, and really dig into history. Love the outdoors. Um, we didn't have a movie theater. We didn't have anything really to do recreationally where I grew up. So almost everything we did was outdoors. And I loved, loved to hunt and fish and hike and camp, uh, all those kinds of things. So love the outdoors a little bit of a sports nut. Um, my dad was a coach of a girls basketball team and a high school baseball team for several years. And so I grew up in a bit of a sports family. Um, sorry to tell you that it, it, it was not soccer or football, as you would call it. American football. Uh, I played American football, baseball, but really love all sports. And uh, getting to know a little bit more I'm getting educated on on uh English football um as I learn a little bit more about your teams and uh Johnny Leach sent me a jersey so he Johnny Leach is trying hard to get me to be a Liverpool fan um <laughs> so uh getting a little bit more familiar with with that side of things but yeah I, I think that's that may be more than you wanted to know but that's a good bit about no, my no, background some of the things i enjoy
0: that's really great that's that, that, that's a wonderful insight I, i've got a spin-off question now of it so i'm going to be bold enough and go off script because i think yeah. you'll be fine with it Um, the transition from the previous uh, roles of ministry yeah. to the current role of ministry uh, yeah. how are they different which one's harder
3: uh the process itself has been very hard um mm-hmm. One of the big differences is as a pastor, we uh, number one, we had rich community because we were very deeply involved in the community that we pastored mm-hmm. in a small group. i had I had a staff of twenty. Uh, it was a large church and so our staff was very much a family and so we had rich community and we had some fairly solid Uh, rhythms of life you know we we had staff meetings and we had meetings with this group and that group and we had church on Sunday and and I had a day off you know where I recovered on Monday uh, or Friday went back and forth on that a bit but we had pretty good rhythms uh the role I'm in now has no community and no rhythms (laughs) Mm -hmm. that's been the hardest thing Mm. um and quite frankly, it's been hard, even harder, I think, for Pam, my wife, mm-hmm. um, because, you know, I don't have rhythms, but I, I have a full plate. And so I I wake up every morning with lots of things to do, and I just dive in and start knocking things out. Pam, for 21 years, was my, you know, was my wife uh, uh, as you know, very deeply involved in the local church, was on staff at various levels for different times. Um, She had a more clearly defined role. Well, now she's, I've got a role that I'm still trying to figure out, and she has no defined role whatsoever. I mean, she can travel with me and does, um, but she doesn't have a clearly defined role, and so I'd say it's been very difficult for her just not not having that role. Um, So the other big difference is, and I think you'll understand this, but I've gone from being very much on the front lines, being deeply involved in in hands-on ministry at the grassroots level to being at a 30,000-foot level where everything I'm looking at is big picture It does fit with some of my gifts. Uh, I I am a pretty, uh, I'm gifted in in terms of um, strategic thinking and seeing things strategically. That's something I'm I'm fairly uh, well equipped for. Um, But it's very, it's just very different being in at 30,000 feet all the time because I'm also a people person and I love the content. I love working with pastors. I love working with churches and I don't get to, well, especially with COVID, Uh, COVID has brought that to a whole different level. Um, So we've, we've just been doing a ton of Zooms and phone calls and lots of paperwork. And so it's, that's been very challenging without question. Mm -hmm. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, there are a lot of joys, no doubt. There are a lot of joys in the role. I, I love get. I do. I do love uh, the travel. Um, I will say, the first four or five months almost cured me of that love of travel <laughs> because we traveled in the first five months. I was in Brazil, the UK, um, Jordan, Spain. Um, Thailand, Cambodia, Myanmar, Bulgaria, and Egypt mm. in the first five months. Mm. And so I was beginning to feel like, okay, I, I think I'll, I, I used to love to travel, but this is a little <laughs> ridiculous. Um, so I, we've been grateful for a little less travel time, but um, I, I do love getting into other cultures. I love meeting people from different countries, different you know, different parts of the world. We learn so much from Christians around the world. Mm -hmm. It is such a huge blessing, Mm -hmm. Uh, quite frankly, challenged by the faith Mm -hmm. of some Mm -hmm. of our people around the world, challenged by their perseverance, their ability to deal with suffering in a way that, quite frankly, we've never had to face um, personally. And so there's just so much to learn from uh, being the, the, the one of the greatest benefits is just having a chance to see the world and to mm-hmm. see uh, to see the life of the church through the eyes of the world.
0: Hmm. How wide is the parish that you oversee right now?
3: I don't oversee a parish.
0: <laughs> so, the, oh, how, you mean my, so you mean my yeah. Area of responsibility? Yeah, 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 yeah. yeah. Because uh, so, people yeah. might, might I mean, you know, whenever I talked and, and, and re- referred to, to the yeah. bishop as, as generically or to yourself, people have a certain imagery in their mind. It's very often connected to, right. in our context, the Church of England kind of bishop. So people might be wondering, what what's your area of responsibility?
3: Yeah. So I oversee um, a third of the U.S., which is located in six very geographically spaced out area. I mean, like one of them is in five states. Um, so that's one conference, um, mm-hmm. but it's relatively small because mm-hmm. I, oversee, I oversee the largest conference in our denomination and two of the smallest conferences in our denomination mm-hmm. um, here in the U.S., mm-hmm. um, and so I oversee everything from Florida over to Louisiana up to Illinois, Missouri and the southern part of Illinois, all the way over to the east coast and all the way up the eastern seaboard, all the way up to Maine, uh, which is at the very northern tip. Mm-hmm. So um, it's probably about 400 churches Um mm-hmm. Here in that area, three to 400 churches. Um, and then I also oversee the Middle East and Europe and you guys. And you guys really are, you're not Europe. Mm-hmm. Um, I mean, I, I, I don't think I'm informing you of anything, uh, <laughs> but you're not Europe. You're not a part of the Europe world area that the US oversees but I oversee your conference. And so I, I really think of you as just my seventh annual conference. Um, and so I oversee you there. Just one second. Um, so you're an annual conference in addition to the six in the US, plus Europe in the Middle East. Now the first year, I also oversaw Asia. And uh, that turned out to be so I had Europe, Asia and the Middle East and the UK. The other two bishops only had Africa for one and, and, um, and Latin America for the other. We did some rearranging after the first year and uh, I gave up Asia uh, to Bishop Matt. And so he's now overseeing Asia. Um, so that's, that's, that was my area. But again, I'm flying very high in all those areas. So I have superintendents in all the conferences. I have area directors who oversee directly all the missionaries in the, in the world areas. So again, it's, it's very broad oversight.
0: Thank you. That's really good. Um, one of the questions that um, I'm always fascinated when, when I get to speak to uh, other leaders and particularly other Christians as well, is one about the, the sense of having, as part of a journey of faith, been through a challenging, tough time, and how how that has been, and how how did you process that? How did you sense God's faithfulness in those kind of difficult situations?
3: Yeah, it's a, it's a good question, and it's an important question. Um, you know, I'll, I'll tell you that for the first 30 years of my life, really, 25 years, 30 years. uh, You know, for the most part, it was, I was incredibly blessed. Uh, uh, I would say the greatest hardship early on was the loss of my grandmother. Um, We literally grew up right next door to my grandparents. And uh, I was the oldest child and my mom was a teacher. And so my grandmother retired not long after I was born and really helped to raise me. And she and I had a super close relationship. Mm. We were just really, really close. And she got cancer when I was uh, 15 and died when I was 16. And, um, you know, I I realize now looking back, the Lord, the gift of my grandmother was, and we all need someone like this. Mm. Um, She loved me unconditionally. Mm she didn't have to discipline me she didn't have to you know straighten me out and she did occasionally but she didn't have to do a lot of that she was able to be 100 percent positively um, just positive affirmation and so it was something that I desperately needed and when she died I lost I didn't have anybody else that was really in that role um And that was pretty painful and difficult. Um, Without question, it pushed me, you know, it's it's the first major crisis of life. And so it pushes you to a new place of, okay, God, um, we all have this, we we tend to have this idea that we make a deal with God when we get saved. God, I'll, I'll, I, I, I. I come to you and I ask you to be my Lord and Savior, and I'm going to surrender to you. But my expectation is you're going to make my life work, um, and you're going to make it work well. And when we run into something that, in our opinion, is not working, it's not what we expected, it's not what we anticipated. It's that first point of disillusionment, Mm -hmm. um, which is actually a word I love. Um, Mm -hmm. It's a hard word but it really means I am no longer living under an illusion.
0: Mm-hmm.
3: I am no longer under the illusion that life mm-hmm. is just going to, we're just going to go through mm-hmm. life with no challenges, no difficulties. Mm-hmm. So that was kind of that first point in my life where I realized, okay, bad things can happen to good people. Uh, suffering can come to those who are Christians. Um, and so that was, that was a, a significant one. Uh, then I would say, The other thing that has been challenging, uh, one of the most challenging moments, seasons, was uh, in the year of that doctoral study. Mm -hmm. um, We had just left the church that we were pastoring, had gone back to school. We had a three-week-old son, and Pam was in severe postpartum depression Mm -hmm. that lasted for about eight months. Mm -hmm. It lasted about two-thirds of that entire doctoral year. So I'm in an intensive doctoral study where I'm actually traveling about every third week for two or three or four days. She is battling significant depression from postpartum. And, uh, and I'm doing the hardest thing I've ever done academically in this doctoral program. But I'll tell you the Lord used that without question to one put us on our knees at a level of desperation that we had never been through before. You know, it's it's unfortunate that we tend to require desperation to get there. But the Lord is gracious to meet us mm-hmm. there, even when it's coming out of desperation. And mm-hmm. so we were at a point of just, you know, it was the hardest thing I had ever been through without question. Mm-hmm but we met the Lord. The Lord Mm -hmm. met us in that. In fact, the Lord did some Mm -hmm. deep healing, Mm -hmm. uh, especially in Pam. There was some stuff. I mean, it was postpartum, but it started tapping into old wounds. Pam's parents were divorced when she was four, and her home was pretty chaotic when she was a child. And it brought a lot. The Lord used Mm -hmm. it to bring some things to the surface Mm -hmm. in order to to heal and Mm -hmm. to bring her to wholeness. And Mm -hmm. so the Lord did some beautiful things during that dark, dark season. Um, Mm. And we have found him to be faithful to that time and Mm. again.
0: Mm. Thank you for sharing that. Um, That's, I I don't know about you, but I find that sometimes uh, the the sense of uh, sharing in challenges and difficulties um, makes us travel better Uh, we've got a common point of reference so that really helps i've got a few more uh, a a few more questions but um i'm sure that people would have questions what i'm going to ask you all um if you have any question just put it into the chat and ian will moderate that and he will later on just um, ask some of those questions out so if you've got a question for bishop key just put it into the chat and Ian will pick up uh, some of the questions. If it's too many, we might have to choose some. Um, uh, Bishop Keith, I never introduced Ian to you. Ian is our new community pastor. He started right in the middle of the pandemic uh, on the 1st of January, but he has been one of our leaders in the church. So um, yeah, uh, he, he'll help us tonight as well in, in processing this. So what people may be asking other questions, writing them down in the chat, let me ask you, what's been encouraging you recently?
3: Well, we, uh, you know, COVID has been challenging in many ways. But one thing, it one thing, one of the biggest gifts of this season has been because we were not able to travel. um, The three of us bishops have been able to work on things that were deep, big issues, things Mm -hmm. that I think everybody knew needed attention but we just hadn't had the the margin to address them at a deep level. Mm -hmm. Um, And so we've had an opportunity. We now, you know, looking back, it seems like we might've had four or five hours a month, the first five months. Now we get five or six hours a week and we are working on some things that we're very excited about that we really Mm -hmm. believe can help move the church forward toward reclaiming a real sense of mission. Uh, We feel like the church here in the U S honestly, for a long time has been more in a maintenance mode, just Mm -hmm. kind of trying to maintain what we've got. Um, We feel like the Lord is using this season to shake that up a bit and to say, it's time to recover a real passion for our mission. Um, And so that's been a real blessing. Um, you know it's i'll tell you it's i don't know how much you have followed the news but in the u.s um, um, pam actually got to where she was watching your news world news and in english news so she wouldn't have to watch ours because <laughs> ours was so <laughs> hard uh we we've had a season not only of covid mm-hmm. and in our culture um there has been tremendous division mm-hmm. over how the church should respond to the to the pandemic. There, it's become very politicized. It's become, for mm-hmm. many people, a faith statement that you don't wear masks as a sign of your faith. It just, it's been really chaotic almost. Mm-hmm. Uh, and then there have been racial issues that have mm-hmm. uh, risen and created great tension. So I don't mind telling you that earlier this year is very difficult on uh, very difficult months but the lord is again using that to sharpen our focus and uh we're, we're feeling pulled from every direction without question if we say anything we typically get shot at from all sides mm-hmm. um and we're trying to to what it's done though is put us in a place of saying god we want to be. A, we want to live for an audience of one. We're not gonna. We're not gonna lead by public opinion. Mm-hmm. We have to be led by your spirit. Mm-hmm. And so it's put us in a place of really deeply listening to the spirit and trying to let the spirit guide us. And uh, so honestly, at the end of the day, I'd I'll, I'll say it's been very encouraging to see the progress we've been able to make mm-hmm. because of the challenges. Honestly. Mm-hmm
0: wonderful um, I'll, I'll I'll throw another one that's um, probably linked to, to, to the previous question but uh, maybe you can give us a little bit more insight to it um, how do you think the churches have been affected by the crisis do you think it's been a negative a positive a mixture what what's the the vibe that you're getting from from the pastors that you're talking and the superintendents that you're talking around the world, I'm just interested. Maybe on a on your vantage point uh, with being able to see not just the United States, but we're also interested in there, but just what's happening around the world.
3: Well, and it's a very mixed bag, as you might mm-hmm. imagine. Um, mm-hmm. Yeah, I'll, I'll start with some global things. I mean. Um, we're hearing reports in some parts of the world that they've never seen. I'm hearing this, especially from the Middle East.
0: Mm -hmm. I'm Mm -hmm.
3: hearing reports from the Middle East that they've never seen more people turning to Jesus Mm -hmm. from the Muslim world Mm -hmm. than they have over the last year. Mm -hmm. Um, In fact, one of our pastors there who has endured some significant persecution, uh, he was called in and uh, threatened by the secret police. His wife lost her job because of secret police, told her employers to fire. I mean, it, it was a bad situation. But he said to us the other day, he said, "If as far as I'm concerned, if COVID never goes away, I'd be okay because we're seeing so many people come to the Lord. So there are definitely pockets where the spirit is moving and people are responsive. Uh, there is no doubt about that. I would say generally, we have seen. I think we would conclude that the pandemic has been something of. It's exposed what really is, Mm -hmm. if I can say it that Mm -hmm. way. It has Mm -hmm. exposed what was possibly hidden underneath a surface Mm -hmm. of appearance. And what I mean by that is that churches that were thriving prior to COVID have generally are still thriving. They have just found different ways to do it. They, uh, they're, they're finding creative ways to minister, creative ways to connect. Uh, churches that were struggling prior are struggling even worse, um, uh, with, with some exceptions, Some have really seen it as a wake up call and they have answered the call and they have said, okay, this is an opportunity. Um, we were, you know, we were stuck, but it was kind of a comfortable stuckness Hmm. and now it's uncomfortable. And so the discomfort is opening the door for some changes that could really get them unstuck. Um, What we're seeing, quite frankly, in in our culture here in particular, is that, and it's not just COVID. It would be COVID and the political environment is exposing that many of our people are more nominal Christians or national. Mm -hmm. This whole thing of national Christian, Christian nationalism is a big thing in the U.S., There are many people that have essentially syncretized nationalism and Christianity and cannot separate the two. And quite frankly, the loyalty is more to a Christian culture than it is to Jesus Christ. Mm -hmm. Um, And that has exposed a significant problem in the American church. And we've got it in our own denomination. Uh, We've got free Methodists who are very much in 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 the heart of that. It's challenging, but I would argue that anytime the Lord is pruning or cleansing his church, mm-hmm. it's a good thing. Mm-hmm. And there are good things that are going to come on the other side. Mm-hmm.
0: Um,
3: so, yeah.
0: Thank you. Over to you, Ian.
1: Great. Thank you. Um, yeah, a couple of questions just uh, just coming in. Um a little bit different in flavor so that's good we'll, we'll start with one right from the beginning and um, you mentioned about growing up would you be able to tell us just about where you did grow up sure. and would uh, and also be interested to know just what sort of music that band played
3: uh, sure i can do that um so I gr- the the name of the town is arlington georgia hmm. So grew up in the state of Georgia. It's in the southwest corner of the state of Georgia. Uh, you'll have to go deep into the map to find it because it's a teeny tiny place. The closest large, well, the closest town of any size is uh, probably Albany, A-L-B-A-N-Y, Georgia. It's about 30 miles west of Albany. Um, but if you have a detailed map,
2: You
3: that's all my need, isn't it? ...city where we still live, and that's Columbus, Georgia. Columbus is a town of about 200,000, and it's right on the Alabama-Georgia border, mm-hmm. about halfway up north and south. Um, so I'm only about an hour and a half from the town I grew up in, so we can get there relatively quickly. Um. The, uh, the band I was in was a contemporary Christian band. Of course, it was contemporary in the 80s. Um, if you were to listen to the music now, you would not think it's very contemporary. Um, but it was... Uh, you know, we had drums, we had guitars, we had a synthesizer, we had about eight singers. I was a tenor. And um, so we had kind of two, two singers for each part. We did a lot of contemporary stuff with a lot of, um, uh, you know, with a, uh, um, I don't know. It's it would be considered early contemporary Christian music, and um, it was a college band, and it was it was a part of a ministry on college on the campus called the Wesley Foundation. So it was a campus ministry of the United Methodist Church. Mm-hmm. And uh, we traveled for almost four years. I traveled every other weekend and we would do anywhere from three to four concerts a weekend every other week for four years almost. uh,
1: Yeah. Wow. So the uh, the traveling began.
3: (laughs) Yes. (laughs) In an old school bus. It was a little bit different than Delta. Um, (laughs) An old school bus. Very
1: good. The next question is is uh, is different. Just referring back to um, the fact that you've you've had that experience of church planting, mm. but also pastoring in a what for us sounds like a very large church setting. And um, as you reflect on those, um, which do you feel is most effective for reaching the community? Mm. The, the sort of church plant where there's the enthusiasm or the the big church with the resources. The, specialized skills that you can bring in
3: well in my case the church plant became the large church um and so it was the same thing now i will say i pastored a very small church when i was in the united methodist church uh in a town about the size of the one i grew up in um and it was a hundred plus years old so it was an old old small church um but I'll say this, and I do think COVID is bringing some changes. I mean, if I was going to plant today, I would plant with a different model and a different aim. Um, I'm more convinced now. Uh, there, there's certainly some advantages to a larger church. You have resources to provide ministries that are hard to do in a small church. But I sense people yearning more for deeper community, deeper connection, and that's one thing a smaller church can really provide well, mm-hmm. and if I was going to plant today, I would very much plant with the aim of reproducing early and often um, and trying to, to multiply that church, and so it probably wouldn't get very large. It might but we would just keep planting now we did some of that Uh, the church that we planted it got to a large size and then we planted two other churches out of it um but i would have done that way earlier and way more often if i were planting today the the, here's uh, i think the challenge and again i the church i grew up in i was in the same church from birth until I left for college in 18 years, at the years of 18. So I was in one church for 18 years. And then we planted a church that I was in for 21 years. Um, The challenge is the longer you go, the more tempting it becomes to get comfortable with what we have internally. And we begin to lose that passion for reaching people out there, reaching people who don't yet know Christ, uh, a new church, you, I mean, that's your only option is <laughs> you've got to reach new people. And so you've got that built in motivation for reaching new people. So the challenge with is if, if, you, if you don't reproduce at some point, I think the natural tendency is you begin to turn inward and become more consumed with your own needs as a congregation. So you have to do something. To kind of make yourself look outwardly. And and, and I will just give this testimony. I mean, we worked really hard at that in the church I pastored. Even though we were large, we really tried to focus outside of ourselves. And one thing I will say is there's this kind of, there's this thought that we have lots of needs internally. We can't afford to look outside. My testimony would be the more we looked outside, the more the Lord met our needs internally. Um, and honestly, I think that's true for individuals. Uh, often when we get consumed with our own neediness, we just feel more and more consumed with ourselves and we get more and more depressed. When we turn outward and begin to think of others and give giving ourselves away to others, we were made to live that way by the Lord. We were made to be rivers of his life. and we're, Ezekiel 47 in fact it's on this. Poster behind me. This was a water feature at our church. And it says, So where the river flows, everything will live. And it is one of the greatest truths of my life. It's one of the greatest truths of our ministry. We believe that the life of God is fullest where the water is moving. And so that's a great graphic image for. And I'll just say this: going. It's a great question, but I think the answer is, if the water is moving, it doesn't matter if you're large or small. Mm. If the if the water is moving, you're going to have a great impact. That's what's key. A little church can do that well, and a large church can do that well. Mm. But the the water's got to be moving. Mm.
1: Thank you. That that image has been very significant for us as a church mm. over the last. Uh, 10 perhaps more from my knowledge 10 years and so that's uh, that's quite significant i think what you've shared there and yeah, um, there's a, a, another question here coming in perhaps jumping off some of the things you said just a little bit later on there in the interview about overseeing all those different uh, churches in in such radically different cultures mm-hmm. um and it 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 sounded overwhelming just to listen to that <laughs> let alone to to conceive of of doing that so the question is what challenge do you face overseeing so many different cultures
3: yeah well it, it it is a challenge i mean first of all you have to you've got to be a student of culture and 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 being a student of culture at the very at the most basic level simply means I'm aware of the fact that I have been deeply shaped by my own culture and that it's different. Um, I think the, the reason some people struggle and quite frankly, this is can happen in your own country. I mean, you don't have to go to another country. I mean, people I'm assuming this is true in your country as well as mine, but I can guarantee you that the culture from, people that grow up in California is radically different than those who grew up in Southwest Georgia. Uh, It's just a completely different culture. But we tend to see the world so strongly through our own culture and assume that it's right. The first lesson to learn is I am shaped by a culture that is a mixed bag of good and bad. It's a mixture of good things and not so good things. And everybody else is coming from a different experience and so we have to commit ourselves to becoming students of culture um so when i'm going to an area i'm asking lots of questions um help me to understand your culture you can also do reading um you know there's things you you begin to see patterns and so people talk about shame-based culture or honor Mm -hmm. cultures or Mm guilt-based culture it's when you begin to study culture at that level, it really helps you. Um, you can kind of get a language for going in. So in, in Asia, it's a strong shame based culture. And there's a lot of research on the dynamics of that kind of culture. And so you can read and get a general sense, but I think, you know, I mean, even, even when I was a pastor, um, we did two to four mission trips a year out of our local church. Um, a lot of them were in Latin America, but some of them in Europe, Bulgaria is one of them because the key players in Bulgaria came out of our church, uh, the, the Galloways, uh, they came out of our church in, in South mm-hmm. Georgia. So, um, you know, a lot of it is, is just, you um, Going in and recognizing, I'm here to learn, rather than I'm here as an expert. Mm-hmm. Um, there are things that I know well, but there are a lot of things that I don't. So you go in, and you go in with a lot of humility, and you go in with a real curiosity that says, I want to learn and I want to understand. And don't be afraid of asking questions. Mm-hmm. I mean, if you there are a lot of things like dress. You know, what what's appropriate and what's not. I mean, in our culture, um, you know, uh, it, it, I mean, this is a really interesting and very concrete example. But at least this used to be the case in our culture. You tended to cover up your middle section, but your legs, you know, for a woman in particular, the legs were fine. You know, you could you could wear short pants, and that wasn't an issue. But you you tended to cover up your middle area. Well, in India, it's exactly the opposite. In India, they wear these starrows that show off their midsection, but you're not supposed to look at a woman's ankles. Uh, If you look at a woman's ankles, that's considered uh, very inappropriate culturally. Uh, And so you just have to ask a lot of questions about what's appropriate and what's not. mm -hmm. Um,
1: Thank you. Um, I have one question and then um, I'm going to I'm going to ask you about perhaps how we can be praying for you, but the last question that came into the chat um, says, "Let me just find it here." Um, oh, here here it is. Save the biggest to last. Uh, which American football team do you follow?
3: <laughs> All right. <laughs> well, yes, um, you have to under- Here's what you have to understand about American football. So we have the NFL, which is professional. Mm-hmm. And we have college, which is amateur. And depending on where you are in the country, one or the other is much bigger. Where I come from, college football is very similar to your football. Mm-hmm. I mean, people are, I mean, we have stadiums of 100,000 that are jam packed every Saturday for college football. So I am a very strong fan of the Georgia Bulldogs. So the Georgia Bulldogs of the college ranks is my favorite team of all. Mm. And then I, I tend to pull for the home team. So at the, at the National Football League level, the NFL, I am an Atlanta Falcons fan. But I will tell you that it's, uh, it is a very miserable thing to be an Atlanta Falcons fan uh, because we have not been very good very often. Mm. And uh, we have one Super Bowl appearance where we famously lost a 28 to 3 lead in the Super Bowl to the New England Patriots. Uh, and uh, so they came back and beat us when we had a 28 to 3 lead. That's the only time we've ever gotten to the Super Bowl. And, um,
1: yeah. Well, we um, we have people in our church who understand the pain of following through <laughs> a sports fan, sports teams, don't we, Christy? So.
3: Yeah. Well, uh, you know what, well, Ian. I know enough about English football to know that was a jab, right? <laughs>
1: yeah. Maybe you just know enough about me to know. and <laughs> <that. laughs>
0: um, Just, just, just to clarify, so Ian would be a Manchester United supporter, which is the equivalent of uh, a being a, a patriot. Yeah, exactly. So he's just a glory hunter. So yeah, <laughs> cheap <laughs> jibe.
1: I think we need to rescue this because um, <laughs> yeah. it's been going awfully well up to this point. Um it's been a, it's been a real delight Keith, to to hear an insight into a little bit of your world and uh, and also just um we really appreciate you you sharing and the the honesty in which you've reflected upon um cultural things, uh, covid things and church things. Uh, and just interweaving your own story in there as well so I really appreciate that um, we would want to do this anyway if we were interviewing someone but it's also right and biblical to pray for those who are in leadership over it and so um, you can be as as personal or as um, general as you like but how can we be praying for you
3: Well, a few things, and one, I deeply appreciate it, so thank you. Um, Thank you very much for praying for us, but uh, one, on a very personal level, so our son-in-law, our son and daughter-in-law are about to have their second child in May. It's a little girl, and so uh, May the 5th or so is when she's due, so pray for a healthy child and a, a good birth and for a healthy mother. Um, And then secondly, we're, we are going to be traveling more starting in April Um, for the first three or four months at least. I think it will all be domestic. I don't think we'll have anything international until at least September, Um, but we will start traveling fairly extensively in, uh, in April and May and June. We have a lot. All of our annual conferences will take place during those months, and right now, all of them are planning to be live um, in person. So, I will need to travel to get to those annual conferences. So, pray for for that. And I would just say, pray for pray for us as we lead our church. Um, our our tribe here in the U.S. Um, is reflecting the nation as a whole. And there's a lot of polarization, people, extreme reactions. Um, you know, I can tell you, I, I am a deeply conservative evangelical Christian who believes in the word of God period as our foundation, but just taking certain social stands. Uh, there's some people who believe that, um, uh, I'm not. I'm not going to go there. Um, I'm going to be careful there, and just because I'm asking you to pray, I will just simply say uh, we. I and I personally, and the bishops have been accused of being completely off base because we make statements against racism, or because we make statements Mm -hmm. against political issues that that really, uh, to me, are clearly biblical. Um, But we're at a point right now where biblical is in the eyes of the beholder. Um, and we're losing the very foundation of being able to determine what's biblical um, because it's so politicized and um, so I would ask for your prayer we need a lot of wisdom to know how to lead our church here in the U.S. Um, so please pray for that
1: yeah I think what would be what would be good is if we we prayed for some of those things now and so if you would like to pray then then Please remember to unmute and and we can pray. And what is the name of your daughter-in-law, Keith, to help us pray for her?
3: Her name is Hannah May. Thank you. And she goes with both names. So it's Hannah May. Um, So Aaron and Hannah May. And they've already named our granddaughter. Her name is Bethel. Um, So Bethel is her name.
1: Okay. Let's um, let's remember some of these things and uh, and then I'll, I'll close in, in a few moments time. Um, yeah, do remember to unmute if you'd like to pray out loud, of course, you always can pray without um without the microphone if you want to.
2: I pray regarding um, the Bible is in the eye of the beholder, I pray remembering that the Bible speaks of you the Lord Jesus and the Father and the Spirit Mm. pray Lord for an awareness of the nature and character of Jesus and to be led by your person by your nature and character as evidenced by the Bible
0: Amen
2: Yeah, Father, we'd thank you for Bishop Keith and uh, Mm -hmm. for the way you have equipped him for Mm -hmm. this role in leadership of over the, well, a third of the US and us and Europe. And it seems an immense task to us, Father. But Father, we know that uh, you don't call someone to a task like that without equipping them. So we thank you for that. But we do Mm -hmm. pray that as he's asked for Um, these situations in the church that you'd give that wisdom that's needed and father just uh, enable him to hear clearly and directly from you um, just how to handle uh, those who would oppose um, what the bishop feel called to to lead in Mm. and father thank you for the grace that uh, is so evident Mm. Uh, mm-hmm. in doing that so Father we look to you mm-hmm. Amen Amen mm-hmm. Yes Father God I just echo Elspeth's prayer and um, we just thank you that when you call us you do equip us and you give us everything you need uh, but, but we look to you to be that provider of wisdom and discernment and, and Father in addition to that See, we know you've already given that, but just give it even more so. In addition, Father, just pray provide encouragement and support within the three bishops, but just from their, their close allies and contacts, just for encouragement mm. and, and support, that when they make a stand in biblical principles, that they are supported uh, through that. And so, Father, we thank you for it. Father, lift them up, encourage them, and bless them mightily. Mm. Amen.
4: Amen. Father we thank you for, for Bishop Keith and um, and the gifting that you've given him mm. and the different experiences that you've given mm. him uh, that he's been able to see that your hand has been upon him or um, in those different experiences the, the, the sense of learning from the, uh, the small community and uh, and the love that can be shared uh, in that community, but also uh, seeing the bigger picture as well, and, uh, and and seeing you moving in the ways that you have, Lord, not just in His life, but in the churches that He He's been part of, the churches that He's planted, and and the wider church. Seeing you move in such a way uh, as you have, bringing people. Uh, uh, conversion of of Muslims and the uh, the way that even in spite of COVID, in spite of all the the uh, other things that have uh, brought pressures and and tensions, that you are still God, that you're an amazing God, and mm-hmm. that you can use um, the gifts that you've the natural gifts that you've given Him, and also. In, in supernatural ways as well. We mm-hmm. pray, Lord, that you will We stand with him and uh, bring his needs to you, that need mm-hmm. of community, of being in it, and feeling the loss of, of that in his particular role. Mm-hmm. Um, we pray that you will meet his every need and especially his, mm-hmm. his personal needs with, within his family. We do We do pray for this new life that is growing and, and forming. We pray for protection for little Bethel and mm. we pray that she will be brought safely mm. uh, uh, to, to birth and mum will be kept safe during that time as well. We pray for Erin for and, and for Asaf as well. We, we pray that this little family uh, will grow healthily and mm. strong as well because we know mm. that that, that, that's um, Keith's prayer so we stand mm-hmm. alongside him thanking you
2: mm-hmm. for
4: him and for the things that he shared mm-hmm. with us tonight and um, the inspiration and the encouragement that that gives to us Pray that you'll inspire mm-hmm. him by your spirit that the waters that he longs to see flowing will continue to flow outwards uh, and your kingdom grow. In Jesus' name. Mm
2: -hmm.
0: Amen. Mm -hmm. Amen. Father, we want to thank you for this great opportunity to to be encouraged and have, again, that renewed sense of we are part of the kingdom of God, which knows no boundaries. And uh, we, we thank you for the encouragement that we heard as bishop keith shared with us and i pray that you'll continue to use him even in this week the things that are ahead i pray that you'll give him the strategic wisdom and insight into some of the things that need to be uh, put into place and developed and also just as in ministers i pray that you will use him lord we thank you once again that we get to go through these rhythms of celebration as we face Holy Week ahead of us, taking time to ponder anew on your great love Mm. and your incredible hope that comes from your resurrection. So I pray that you will continue to work in our hearts to make us a people of love and a people that bring a message of resurrection hope in our communities. Mm. Amen. 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 Well, thank you, thank you so much, Bishop Keith. It was really great to have you with us, uh, virtually, and we hope that, uh, as time will allow us, um, you both would be able to visit and and be with us in the flesh. It'd be lovely to to experience that. So, thank you so much for being part of us. CFM, just as a reminder.